Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another vicious episode of the MMA Archive. I am your host, Christopher Negron. You can catch me at Twitter on Negron MMA, as well as on Instagram at Chris Negron underscore. Um, this is my third time trying to record this, praying we don't have any more issues. Um, just been a, a comedy of errors, if you ask me. But we won't let that stop us from talking about what I thought was a very interesting UFC event. Now, there's many reasons why this one was interesting, but let's get right into why I feel like this is one of the more unique events we've seen to date. So this is UFC number nine, Motor City Madness. This one took place at the Kobo Arena in Detroit, Michigan, United States the home of the automobile on May 17th, 1996. We are quickly approaching my birth date. So that is interesting, you know, catching up, catching up. Time flies, I'll tell you that. So our TV announcers for this one are Bruce Beck, Don the Dragon Wilson, and Jeff Blatnick, the powerful Jeff Blatnick, RIP. So let's get right into it, man. This was the first UFC event to not feature a tournament. Now, this is important. We had straight matchmaking in this one, um, which I thought was really cool. You know, similar to the model we have today at the UFC. Um, to think of a tournament in today's UFC is kind of crazy. Like, there's <laughs> there's no there's no interest whatsoever from the UFC's part to try to do a tournament now. But this was the first one that didn't feature one. Marco Huas was originally slated to face Don Fry in this one, but unfortunately had to withdraw. So Don Fry now faces Omri Batets. Dave Benito was also scheduled uh, to face Gary Goodridge in this one, but was forced to withdraw due to a hand injury. So Mark Schultz, uh, the wrestling coach of Dave Benito, stepped in and was willing to compete which is very notable because of who Mark Schultz is. Uh, For all you veterans out there, I'm sure a couple of you know who that is, but we'll get to it later uh, to fill in the blanks. But the reason why this was the most, in my opinion, interesting event to to date is Arizona Senator at the time, John McCain, probably someone that's more known for being, you know, vice president of the United States at one point sent a letter to the Detroit courts petitioning for them to sort of shut down this event due to the brutal nature of the competition. So there was a a big hoopla about this, tried to shut down the event. Eventually they were allowed to continue, but with the stipulation that every bout in this event would not include closed fist striking or headbutts. Two real pivotal parts of what made this different than boxing and just been a big part of the UFC in general. Uh, when you look at their highlights, et cetera, um, that, that's what, that's the bread and butter right there of combat sports. So it's going to be interesting to see how those uh, rules are enforced and whether or not big Johns could, could sort of keep everything under wraps. Uh, but we'll see as we get right into it. So the first bout in this one was unfortunately untelevised. We had Steve Nelmark coming up against Ty Bowden. Steve Nelmark ended up winning via KO 
due to doctor stoppage at seven minutes and 25 seconds. Now, I'm tired. I'm tired of these fights that are not aired because I can't find footage of them anywhere. I was looking, couldn't do it. So if there's any way you guys know that I could try to get some more information on this, please let me know. But as of right now, not interested. We'll just move right on to the next one. And that was Cal Worsham standing at a petite 5'10", 230 pounds, coming up against Nasty Zane Frazier, who stood at 6'5", 235. If you've been paying attention, both of these names should be familiar. Cal Worsham's first UFC appearance took place at UFC 6, where he unfortunately went on to lose to Paul Varlins in what was my fight of the night. So exciting fighter. Looking forward to see what he's able to do here. He's going up against, obviously, Zane Frazier. His first UFC appearance was all the way back at UFC 1, where he lost to Kevin Rosier in what was also my fight of the night. So this one must be a barn burner. Um, Let's get right into it. So both guys sort of started this fight off circling along the outside, both orthodox. uh, Cal is fainting the jab and sort of landing outside leg kicks off of it. Um, Within the sort of faint battle, Zane ended up just lunging forward with a rear knee, beautiful step-up knee, which landed right next to Cal's head. It was on the shoulder, sort of the clavicle area. Um, I had to watch it back a couple of times because it looked like it landed to the head, but it didn't, um, luckily for Cal. And um, after after he landed that knee, you can see Zane got excited. He sort of rushes in forward recklessly, and Cal baits him nicely as he's retreating. Once again, this is a theme in his first event against Paul Varland, sort of baiting the, the bigger guy into him. And he baited him with a shoulder feint uh, at a jab to sort of get him backing up. And as soon as he sort of flinched, Cal ducked under right for a nice double leg takedown. Um, I, I found that surprising because he was known sort of as a striker in the first time he, came, he fought in the UFC. And now he's a well-rounded mixed martial artist. So you love to see it. As soon as he lands on the ground, Cal tries to circle out into that side control position. Uh, but Zane was able to trap him in half guard. Uh, this is something to note because I feel like for a long time, everyone was considered to not have any idea of what to do on the ground. And I think at this point in the UFC, I would say even way back as far as UFC 4 or something like that. Excuse me, but way back at like UFC 4, I think that's when you start seeing everyone has an idea of what to do now. Like, you know how to try to stay out of danger. And that's a big part of it. You don't want them to get dominant position on you. So you're trying to retain that guard. And um, <clears throat> Zane did a good job of that, you know, trapping him in half guard as soon as they get on the ground. Of course, Cal tries to open things up by landing a headbutt. Uh, Big John's like, no, 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 but didn't do anything to change the fight because he's not stopping them or trying to give points or anything to Cal. So that was interesting to note, you know, new rules, but they're not, really being enforced. Um, Cal stays heavy on that top position, trying to advance, uh, but Zane is doing a good job of sort of keeping him tight, um, trying not to let him posture. 
uh, cows landing short elbows and headbutts, uh, which Big John keeps on sort of warning him about, but not doing anything about. Uh, finally, Cal starts landing some nice short right hands that force Zane Frazier to tap at three minutes and 14 seconds. Now, I'm going to be honest here, man. I didn't think that he was in a devastating enough position to warrant the stoppage. Um, that's why he tapped, obviously. It wasn't a Big John stoppage. It was him tapping out, conceding the bout. I think there's been a couple times where guys find themselves in positions and they just take the out and tap, where in today's UFC, if something like that was to happen, they'll never be brought back again. Um, so I find that interesting. Obviously, different time, different era. But you, you could say there was something something left out there. We'll leave it at that. Um, not trying to say anything about Zane Frazier in a negative light, but I just find it interesting that what is acceptable um, as far as the level of competition and the level of uh, sort of stick to in these fights, um, I feel like the bar is much higher today than it was back then. Because if someone tapped out like that today, uh, they'll be ridiculed and probably taken off the UFC roster, if I'm being honest. Um, but we'll move on from that one. Next up, our third bout of the night, we had Rafael Carinho, you know, beautiful Brazilian Portuguese accent right there, standing at six foot eight, 245. This was Cap. Cap, Cap, Cap. Even the announcer said it. This dude looked like he was. At max six three six four at maximum, so don't don't believe every every stat they give you on this UFC broadcast. Just saying, um, he was coming up against Matt Anderson, who was standing at six foot two, two hundred twenty five pounds. Uh, both men are making their UFC debut. Garino is being trained by Andre Pedaneris, a name that should be familiar to all of you. If he is not, he is the head coach and trainer of guys in Nova Uniao. Most famously, people like Jose Aldo, Henan Barral, you know, mainstays, pillars of Brazilian martial arts. And it all started all the way, way back when, uh, UFC number nine. So respect to the legacy because man this guy has been around for years and doing the damn thing at the highest level of the sport so respect to Didi Pedaneris but moving on Matt Anderson trains with Scott Morris as well as Steve Jenham if you've been paying attention these are both names we're familiar with at this point Steve Jenham previously being the UFC champion at UFC 3 so we started this one off tight orthodox sort of Muay Thai style guard for Carino while Matt Anderson is this southpaw but he's he's flowing he's moving around he's not keeping his hands glued to his face uh, which is an interesting sort of contrast to styles Carino runs in right away though he made it look like he was gonna go strike and just go straight down for the takedown gets a nice body lock uh, takedown into side control once again that that battle we've been talking about Anderson did a great job of getting back to his half guard and then immediately from there going to full guard. So doing a good job trying to defend and get to a better position. Um, Anderson was also using his butterfly hooks uh, to elevate Carino, trying to find a sweep 
um, but eventually sort of keeps finding himself stuck on bottom position. Uh, there was at one point where he tried to buck Carino and Carino was able to work his way into half guard from that momentum and eventually into the full mount, which was just dangerous for Matt Anderson. Obviously, I just want to give a shout out to Matt Anderson because this was the opposite of what I said in the Zane Frazier bout. You know, this has been a one-sided fight so far. Um, One-way traffic for Carino. But Anderson is in it and tenacious and doing everything he can to try to get out of these position, um, shrimping from the bottom in mount, just scrambling, trying to do everything he can to get out. Uh, but unfortunately, Carino's technique sort of prevailed in this instance where he was able to remain in that full mount and then eventually open up with some big shots on the ground that opened up a cut on Anderson's forehead. Um, didn't force him to tap. He's there, still in it, just trying to hold on uh, while... Carino is just sort of bombing away and you hear Big John just begging him like please open up your hands open palm strikes um, but he's just landing punches anyway he does not care nobody in this event cared about these fake rules that they wanted to imply uh, impose should I say uh, because of John McCain and his letter uh, but I found that so funny because that's just the theme of this event at this point you know everyone Everyone is being told to do one thing, and they're really doing the opposite. Uh, but eventually, at 5 minutes and 32 seconds, Big John is forced to stop the fight from strikes. And that was that one. A really fun fight, if you ask me, even though it was one-way traffic. Um, the heart of Anderson is what really made the difference. Um, if you watch this fight, I found it much more entertaining than the first one with Zane Frazier, just because of that. You know, there's some opposition, even if it's not effective in the way that he's landing his strikes and putting himself in a good position to win even though there isn't that competitiveness it's still it doesn't feel like someone laid over if that makes sense um it feels like Carino still had to earn it and that makes for a fun fight if you ask me give me one second Ooh. don't you love some good crisp water so next up fourth fight of the night in my opinion one of the funner fights of the whole event got mark schultz standing up at 510 203 pounds coming up against gary goodridge six foot three 240 pounds this is mark schultz ufc debut he was the 1984 freestyle wrestling gold medalist representing America. Uh, so the, probably the most decorated combat sports athlete to ever compete in the UFC up to this point. Um, once again, came into the event after Dave Benito was forced out due to a hand injury. Gary Goodrich is two and one in the UFC with his last fight coming at UFC number eight where he lost to Don Fry in the finals of the tournament. I found it super cool that Gary Goodrich got one of the biggest ovations of anybody on this card. I think that really shows, you know, the people that are watching this, it's not just a one-off. They're not just showing up to watch uh, some dude get beat up to a pulp. Like these people are showing up every week and they know who these people are at this point. And I found that very cool. You know, you feel the momentum of the sport, even back then. 
So both of these guys came out in orthodox. Schultz was standing super upright. Like you could tell striking is not his forte just because he's he's leaving himself out there a lot just by the way he's bored, bored stiff, just standing upright, looking up almost at Gary Goodrich, which you don't want to do. You want to keep that chin tucked, um, but he's just, he doesn't care. He, looking up, sort of moving into range with his arms like this, arms outstretched, head straight up, just really weird. Um, you would think that Gary would feel comfortable sort of pot shotting with the jab, uh, but it really threw Gary Goodridge off. Like he didn't feel or look comfortable at all in that striking range against someone that clearly wasn't comfortable either. Um, his unorthodox uh, style, I guess, uh, made it a little a little weird for Gary Goodrich. Um, so eventually Schultz rushes forward, grabs a hold of Gary Goodrich, and gets a beautiful double leg takedown straight into side control. He took Goodrich for a ride. Like Goodrich tried to grab the guillotine, and it didn't matter because he, he put him right into uh, side control. And it was a big slam, got the crowd screaming, and really made me think like this is a this is a different level like you could tell this guy is much smaller than Gary Goodrich and just flung him through the air like it was nothing uh but Goodrich Goodrich is not out of it he wrapped up a uh, half guard nicely um uh before Schultz could sort of set his base and start landing strikes um obviously he couldn't get that guillotine because he was already in that sort of half guard position you you see guys fight for the guillotine from half guard but it's it's not really advisable like unless you get your other leg in play and find yourself in full guard uh you don't really have much to offer there from that position uh for the guillotine so schultz is stuck you know he his head is being held um down in that choking position by gary goodrich but he's content to just sort of land big rib roasters uh, with his right hand while stuck in that position eventually Schultz is able to pop his head out and as soon as he does the crowd goes crazy um just super super educated you know even you you would think back then they didn't have a clue um but even then it, it's like oh yes no more stalling like they they knew um that he wasn't going to get that uh submission so once he got freed of it they was very excited and um Gary's still doing what he has to do, man. He, at one point, just sort of reaches over and is using his gi as a grip to just sort of hold Schultz on top of him and try to prevent as much damage as possible. Eventually, he's able to buck Schultz off and sort of came real close to getting a reversal. Um, but Schultz stood very tight and, and found himself back inside control once again. Uh, so... As always, there's no quit in Gary Goodridge. He's in deep side control. And instead of trying to like buck and get out, <laughs> this man starts throwing elbows to Schultz's thighs, which I found pretty funny. I had to mention that because <laughs> if you if somebody was doing that today in the UFC, like the commentators would destroy them for it. Um, but Got to give it to him. He's trying to trying to find his openings, even, even in the worst position possible on the ground. So eventually, Goodrich, instead of sort of trying to work his way up to his feet, Goodrich kicks his legs up and grabs a hold of his gi pants 
So once again, stalling strategically um, from bottom side control and is able to get Big John to stand them up. I'm like, wow, I can't imagine uh, somebody being in side control today, even if they're being wrapped up, um, that the ref would stand them up without asking the guy on top, like, is this what you want? Like, are you sure? Because, um, yeah, just a super dominant position, even though you're being stalled effectively by Gary Goodrich half side control is where you want to be um besides full mountain that's that's one of the deepest positions you could get to on top position so i don't agree with the the stand up there for big john but <clears throat> as soon as they get back on the feet goodrich goes right back to work landed a, a big stiff jab that you could tell really got the attention of mark schultz um he did a good job after that too, just trying to faint and get a reaction from Schultz because he know he landed that one um, stiff and Schultz was not having any of it. He didn't care, ducked right under that, uh, that faint and got another double leg takedown. This time landing in full guard, wasn't high amplitude like the first one was, but got the job done, put him in full guard again. And with this heavy pressure, he ends up finding his way back into half guard on top and slowly landing punches, you know, slowly landing strikes whenever he could get a chance. And that eventually opened up a cut on Goodrich's um, eye. Bleeding pretty heavily. I would I would note Big John ended up separating them to sort of clean off the blood after some time on the ground. Um but as soon as the blood was cleaned up, instead of putting him back in that position, you stand him up right back up on the feet. So it's like basically, you know, forget all the work you did to get to that position to force us to clean the cut. You guys are back on the feet again, which I found hilarious. Um, Goodridge landed a nice outside leg kick as soon as they got um, back in striking range, uh, which I found interesting because you could tell Schultz doesn't throw leg kicks. But as soon as he got hit by one, he wanted to get it back. And he throws his own leg kick and lands at it. Uh, but as soon as he does, Gary Goodrich points at um, him and looks at Big John like, hey, what's going on here? And this is key because Mark Schultz had on shoes. He had on his wrestling shoes. And you're not supposed to kick with shoes on in the UFC. Uh, so I found that funny. He's like quick to point like, hey, 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 he, he's not supposed to be kicking me here, which I, I found that pretty funny. I wonder what that is, though, instinctually, uh, when guys land a certain strike, you want to get it back. Um, but Schultz ended up jumping in randomly with a huge left hook, which landed right on the eye. And I was I was super surprised by that, because up to this point, he hadn't really landed any strikes standing up. Um, but next up, I need to mention this. The Gi ended up really working against Gary Goodridge in this one. Um, we'll see Schultz dives in on the legs for a double leg, but he can't quite get his hands locked together uh, behind um, Gary Goodridge's back. So instead of... Excuse me. Instead of continuing to work to get those hands clasped, he just grabs either side of the geese, the gee pants on his hips and just takes him for another ride. A huge takedown, similar to the first one where he just landed up 
big takedown, high amplitude. You hear the, the entire octagon shake and eventually uh, landed in that side control position and landed a nice little knee to the head, uh, which reminded Gary, you know, I got to get back to half card. And immediately he does that, uh, trying everything he can from that position to stall like he was doing earlier. Schultz ends up working his way back into mount, postures up and starts landing bombs. And once again, Big John screaming, please open the hands, uh, but never stops it to change anything. And you could tell <laughs> Schultz was clearly punching Gary Goodrich. Um, but Schultz super dominant in the regulation period. It ended at that 12 minute mark. And they were looked like they were trying to get everything to go for the overtime period. They kept going over to Gary Goodrich and talking to him. And eventually the doctor decides that the fight's over TKO due to the cut. Um, I wonder what it was. I wonder if Gary Goodrich decided not to fight or the doctor made that decision. It looked more so like Gary said, I'm done, uh, which I found interesting, uh, but all class in the interviews afterwards for both guys, Mark Schultz is a guy who his brother was also an Olympic um, medalist who unfortunately was shot and killed. Uh, Dave Schultz, that is. So definitely look up to the, uh, look into that. Um, you can watch the Foxcatcher movie. I think it's called. It recently came out uh, where they do a dramatic reenactment of Mark Schultz fight in the UFC, uh, which is funny, but super racist as well. Gary Goodrich is a 6'3 black man. And somehow in that Foxcatcher movie, he's fighting some white dude. <laughs> but interesting story nonetheless. And really, I think one of the first, like I said, a pioneer of one of these guys who's super decorated in the sport and finds their way into the UFC. Next up, got Mark Hall, 6'9, 189 pounds. Coming up against Koji Kiteo. This is a, uh, I was about to say judoka, a sumo wrestler um, who, I believe it's called a Yokozuna, which is basically like the best sumo wrestler of that uh, season. Um, so interesting to note, once again, huge guy, 6'7", 390 pounds. This is actually Mark Hall's fourth fight in the UFC. He's currently two and one with his last appearance coming at UFC 7.5, the ultimate ultimate where he won by decision. No, sorry, by submission. This is Koji's UFC debut. Another David versus Goliath sort of matchup. Fight starts out fast and furious on the feet. Hall, Hall gets backed up into the fence and they're both throwing a nice nice flurry of strikes at each other you could see they're both landing strikes and eventually koji wraps him up picks him up over his head slams him down onto the ground and i'm like this dude's in trouble like <laughs> when you got a, a sumo wrestler on top of you like that and he gotta take down that easily you know it, it feels like it's the beginning of the end but as soon as they get the ground big john stops the fight and it looks like Kateo's like looking at him and trying to talk to him. And I'm trying to figure out why, because from the way the camera angle is, it's sort of on uh, Kateo's back. So you can't really see what's going on, but you can see a lot of blood. 
And um, it looks like one of the shots that landed from Mark Hall broke Cattell's nose. And that nose was just leaking like a faucet. And he, he looked like he forfeited. Like he was saying, I'm good. Like, I don't want to fight anymore. He, he crushed my nose. Like he even says it to the doctor. He's like, look, you, you see, like, <laughs> he's like, my nose is messed up. Like it's sideways. Um, so yeah, he definitely forfeited there. Um, but I found that so surprising because even through the blood, through all of that, he was in position to sort of finish the fight. He had a dominant position. Um, but what can I say, man, you know, people react to things differently. And as soon as he saw that blood, he was like, no, thank you, sir. Mark Hall gets the triumphant win. Um, the much smaller man, obviously, he ends up admitting, yeah, it was a right hand that, that opened, opened it up as far as the breaking the nose. And in the interview, the post-fight interview, he proposes to his girlfriend, who's not even there. So she can't even answer. It's not like they could look to her and, and see that moment. He just yeah, he just proposes to her and leaves it at that. It's like, all right. Anyway, next up, which I found hilarious. Like, I'd be pissed off if I was her. Like, you're really going to do that on national TV when I'm not around? <laughs> like, hilarious. Um, but that's it for that one. We got two fights left. This is our co-main event. Omri Bittetti standing at 5'9", 185, coming up against Don Fry, standing at 6'1", 210 pounds. Omri's making his UFC debut after Marco Huas was forced to withdraw due to injury of some sort. This was Don Fry's fourth UFC fight, and he is 3-0 coming off of winning UFC 8. So defending champ, sort of defending the throne here. I hate that they never show like, because they give belts for these super fights, but they weren't given belts for the tournament. So I, I wish, you know, um, Don Fry could have walked out with the belt and sort of signify, you know, I'm the champ at the moment, regardless of what you got going on. Like I'm the champ. Um, recognize that, but unfortunately that's just not the spot we're in at this moment of the ufc so both guys come out in orthodox omri wastes no time leads off with a leg uh, a lead sidekick with that left leg and as soon as um he throws it don fry grabs a hold of him looking to get a takedown and you can see omri as soon as he grabs him Omri just climbs his body um, and tries to pull guard. Like he gets himself in a nice full guard position while Don Fry's still standing up, trying to pull guard. Um, but Don Fry's not having any of it. So Omri ends up bailing. So the let's go, let's go of everything stands up again. And uh, Fry pushes him back straight up against the fence. And as soon as he hits the fence, uh, Omri uses that momentum to sort of bounce off the cage and now put Fry back on the, on the fence. And as soon as that happened, I'm like, we got to fight. Like, regardless of what happens here, this is going to be a hell of a scrap because we haven't seen anyone be able to get any sort of uh, grappling success against Don Fry up to this point. And that's a good place to start for anyone. So um, Omri starts to lock up a body lock 
and Fry land some nice short elbows to the back of the head to discourage them. You know, these takedowns ain't going to come easy if you're going for them. Um, Omri was in super deep on that body lock, so close to getting a takedown. Uh, but Fry is able to hold himself up just by grabbing the fence. And, um, excuse me, Omri's holding on to that body lock. You could tell Fry is getting a little bit annoyed because he's sort of stuck in that position. So he goes, pushes Omri against the fence and pins him there by grabbing the fence behind him and starts to land some really slick knees. Like I never, once again, this is something you'll never see because this is not allowed anymore, but it's super crafty. Like he pins him there to the fence and then just is driving with everything he has up knees, up the center, trying to land to the head, but your opponent has nowhere to go. They, they can't just separate or circle away to get away from those knees because you have them trapped. So that was really creative stuff there by Don Fry. Eventually, um, Fry is holding on to an overhook position and sort of punishing Omri with shots to the head with the other hand. And you could see Omri's doing everything he can to try to get a takedown. <laughs> poor, poor Omri is trying to represent jujitsu as best as he can, uh, but it's it's not working out for him. Um, Fry is able to shuck him off and eventually forces him to stand up. And as soon as Amari landed on his knees, uh, Fry took a step in and landed a big jab cross combo, just a nice one-two that really hurt Omri. You could tell it landed flush and dazed him. And um, Fry, I think he's a lefty converted to orthodox just because the way he throws that left hand, it has so much power than the right. Like you could tell uh, that he throws like a piston-like jab instead of... Uh, push jab he's trying to hurt you with that jab and um you could tell Omri was stunned by that shot so he tries to shoot and land another double leg takedown Fry stuffs it and when he finds himself in that sprawl position he's always throwing nasty elbows um to the body this time to the spine um and up to this point this fight is just at an insane pace like even though grappling attempts are happening there's always room where each guy is trying to find strikes and the pace has just been awesome uh Omri ends up getting up and shooting for another takedown but once again it's stuffed and then they end up in a sort of inside collar tie where both of these guys are like looking right at each other holding each other by the neck almost and Omri just lands a big overhand right gets the attention of Fry and now Fry just showed up, pins his head up against him. And now they're, they're head to head, like forehead to forehead, just looking at each other, holding the back of one another's neck, which I found hilarious. Um, and literally, as soon as uh, they, they separate from that position, they're back in that single collar tie. And these guys are just Don Takayama style, just, just landing punches at the same time, both of them cracking each other. Um, and eventually sort of punches his way out of the clinch and lands a nice straight left hard. Once again, Don Fry is just putting it on Omri Batets. He grabs him and lands three brutal knees straight to the head. And you can see Omri's really hurt at this point. Um, he's against the fence, rocked. But he shoots in again for another takedown. Once again, stuffed. 
you could tell Don Fry smells blood and he's not playing. He's just trying to land as much punches as he can. He eventually works his way to side control and is net, like posting on Omri's head with his elbow and then landing the same elbow, like just putting all his weight and then throwing it down on him. Uh, just nasty technical stuff, but just nasty. Um, Fry ends up going for a key lock, something that we talk a lot, a lot about on this show, surprisingly. Um, but he's not able to get it because Omri's arm isn't on the mat. Like it's, it's like this on down the ground and it's still suspended in the air, but he's trying to attack it. And because it's not on the mat, he's not, Don Fry is not able to finish it. Um, but eventually <clears throat> you can see Omri starts working to retain his guard. Everyone in the arena just starts chanting USA, USA. And that's hilarious. Uh, they're, they're really into it. And um, as soon as, as soon as uh, those chants ring out, Big John's like, all right, all right, all right. Enough with the guard. We're restarting it, um, of course. Uh, but literally, as soon as he separates them, Don Fry lands a nasty slashing elbow that on anybody else, I think, would have cut him open. Uh, but somehow it didn't. <laughs> and Omri's like, hey, like, you, you broke it up and he's still cracking me. Um, but as soon as they stand up, Omri goes for another one of those takedowns and Fry shucks him off again, landing on top in Omri's guard. Omri ends up starting to attack a knee bar, but Fry does a great job to sort of stack all his weight underneath that leg. And then you could see, um, Omri is doing everything he can to wrap up the knee bar. And Don Fry's just looking, and he finds where his head is, and then just starts throwing elbows right at his head, uh, brutal elbows. And eventually, you see Omri's sort of mouthpiece come out, uh, which caused a little short break in the action. Uh, this allowed Omri to sort of regain his full guard and stall until Big John is forced to separate them once again. So this is the third time now. Um, and as soon as they get out there, <laughs> Omri throws a jab and then shoots for a takedown under it. But Fry sprawls so hard, like you literally hear Omri's head, doom, like thud against the canvas. And I feel bad for Omri at this point. Like he's just getting pummeled. Um, he's grabbing at Don Fry's knee braces, which I found pretty funny. And, then, and in response, instead of like trying to move away or whatever, Don Fry just literally pushes his legs onto the fence behind him. So once again, he's in that sprawl position, pushes his legs on the fence and just sort of goes horizontal. Like he's, he's, his, his chest is on Omri's head, who's stuffed under him on the ground and he has his legs on the fence. So he's just like this, <laughs> just floating, not even touching the ground, which I found hilarious. Just such a weird position to find yourself in. Um, putting all his weight on, on Omri though, like, making sure he feels every pound, um, which I can only imagine was just de demoralizing. Like you're already getting beat up and now he's just putting all his weight on you in that same way, just tough. Uh, Fry starts to open up with brutal knees to the crown of the head, like right, right to the top of the head from that uh, sprawl position. And there, <laughs> he's literally loading up on them so hard that Every time he throws it, the crowd is going, hey, and then as it lands, they go, hey, 
hey, that's <laughs> so funny. Like they they were in tune with those strikes. Um, but just a just a ravaging, just a beat down by Don Fry. I gotta give it to Omri because he was in this fight the whole time, even though he was getting destroyed once again, that same sort of theme. Um, but Don Fry is impressive, man. He ends up getting Big John to stop the fight in nine minutes and 22 seconds. Just a hell of a performance. Defense is crown. I'm looking to see what happens at UFC 10 because you've got to get this guy back against someone good. I know that him and Dan Severn train together, so that's not an option, but he needs some quality competition because this guy is good on the, on the ground, on the feet, in transitions. Like he's a like more so than anyone at, up to this point, in my opinion, he's a well-rounded martial artist. He's not just a striker. He's not just a wrestler. He has all those bases covered, and that's always exciting to see. But all right, we've made it to our seventh and final bout of the night. We have Dan Severn. Standing at 6'2", 247, coming up against Ken Shamrock, 6'215 pounds. Dan Severn is a two-time UFC tournament champion, 8-2 in the UFC, with his last appearance coming at UFC 7.5, the ultimate, open, ultimate where he became the tournament champion for a second time. Once again, this is the second time that they fight so let me put that in the dock because i think i forgot yes i did let me put two here dan seven versus ken shamrock two because ken shamrock was able to submit him by guillotine the first time that they fought quickly too might i add ken shamrock is five one and two in the ufc he should be seven and one but we won't get too deep into that one again um but even though he's highly decorated with a lot of wins, um, he hasn't been a tournament champion yet. He's been a super fight champion, first guy to win multiple super fights, uh, but never a, a tournament champion. So I think that's an interesting little wrinkle there. Um, his last appearance was also at, was actually at the last UFC event, UFC number eight, where he was able to get a slick arm bar against Kimo Leopoldo. So Great experience there for Ken Shamrock and Dan Severn. This is a dream matchup, and um, it sucked. It sucked so bad, man. It sucked. Oh, man. This was a 36-minute fight. And this one, I had less notes than the Mark Schultz fight, which was a 12-minute fight. That's how much this fight was literally... Uh, just just nothingness both guys circling out on the outside first of all when do you see Dan Severn circling out like this guy's a pressure fighter he's he's floating on the outside like he's Muhammad Ali he's he's shuffling on the outside fainting the jab I'm like who is this like what are we watching right now um, but I think the the rules of no punches really sort of got in these guys heads and they were trying to avoid the grappling at all costs on top of that. So you can't punch, you can't grapple. What can you do? Um, it, it made for a, just a really strange fight. Uh, both guys standing on the outside, severing a southpaw. 
Ken fighting out of orthodox, just staring in the mirror, pawing at each other with jabs, but never really committing to anything. Um, Ken throws an overhand open palm strike, but Dan just blocks him with his hand. Dan ends up opening a cut on Ken's cheek with a nice, um, I, I couldn't really tell if it was a punch or maybe a scratch, um, but a cut nonetheless, one that you could point to as far as he has some more damage on him. Shamrock is the only one really landing strikes, but when he does, they're not really impactful anyway. Crowd starts chanting, which I found hilarious. They were just like, boring, boring, which I found so funny. Like it was for like three minutes straight. They were doing that, just screaming, boring. Um, Shamrock, that forced Shamrock to open up with some strikes, but Dan ducked right under them, shoots for a real low John Smith style single leg. Uh, Shamrock was trying to wrap up that neck, uh, but Dan Severn was really on top of it this time, circling into side control the way you're supposed to. Ken was able to get up. I don't even know how he did this. Like he sort of just pushed off and got back to his feet, which I found super surprising because from side control against the wrestler, that that's hard to do. Uh, but once again, Ken is jacked. So not too surprising, but hard to do for sure. So they're circling for multiple minutes again. Finally, Dan shoots in again on that same low single. This time, Ken already defended it once, more wise to it, and ends up circling to the back. So he gets on Dan Severn's back, on top, and then into full mount. Ken starts landing some pot shots, but Dan Severn's doing everything he can to sort of keep him tight, not panic, not give up too much, keep his head sort of in the center of um, Ken Shamrock's chest to prevent damage. Ken is just trying to land punches wherever he can from those short angles. Eventually, um, Dan Severn sort of bellies out to sort of try to get out of that full mount position. And um, it forced Ken to go to the back mount, which he wasn't as comfortable in. And then eventually was able to reverse it and get on top. Great reversal for Dan Severn. Now Severn is on top in Ken's guard, opening up with a bunch of ground and pound, elbows, punches that eventually opened a big cut on the eye of Ken Shamrock. So now two different cuts, two different sides of the faces, well, sides of the face that are cut. Uh, Ken was able to get back to his feet, though, at the end of regulation, like right before the fight ended, um, after that 30-minute period. <laughs> but... Both men, if you ask me, literally basically did nothing the whole fight. Like those things that I mentioned are impactful, especially Dan Severn getting those damaging strikes from on top. But when you consider that everything I just said took place in the span of 30 minutes, um, just an abysmal fight, man. And now we're going to overtime. The first overtime period, they literally did nothing. Not one strike was thrown. You could look it back. They circled and looked at each other for three minutes straight. And I was losing my mind. Like I was, I was watching these fights at like four in the morning. Uh, don't judge me. I had some things to do. Okay. So when I'm watching it, I'm like, let me go to sleep, bro. Like this is garbage. Like I'm, I'm not watching anything right now. Second overtime period starts. Ken ends up landing a nice lead hook. You can see it gets the attention of Dan Severn. Ken ends up shooting for a takedown. Severn's able to stuff it. 
And after two overtime periods, this fight is finally over. Oh, man. I would say this is probably the worst fight I've ever seen. Like, this is worse than Ken Shamrock Hoist Gracie because at least there was top control and work the entire time. This this was a, a lot of nothing. A lot of just looking at each other, circling around, just just super boring. And it's all John McCain's fault. <laughs> like like many other things that are wrong with this world, it's all John McCain's fault. So <laughs> this one went to a split decision with one of the judges uh, dissenting, but eventually Dan Severn wins the split decision, avenging his loss to Ken Shamrock. Uh, awful fight. Good decision, in my opinion. Um, this is one where I wish there was draw still because it was that it was that close that nobody really won this fight. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, but if you had to give it to anyone, I agree it would be Dan Severn just because he has the more visual damage on Ken Shamrock. Um, all class after, which I love to see, obviously. Dan Severn, super savvy. He had a poster already written out that he's calling out Hoist Gracie for UFC 10 which I found super cool. I'm like, man, this guy knows what he's talking about. He got his ducks in order. He's he's thinking about his next fight before he even wins. Uh, so shout out to Dan Severn for that, setting up the next pay-per-view potentially. So just like that, man, that's it. Who would have thought? Um, I want to I wanna get to these fight 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 night awards because... It's only right. I didn't fill them in yet. So I'm going to go fight of the night. What is my fight of the night? Hmm. I think I got to go to Omri, Omri Batech versus Don Fry. And this is why. You see what I did there? Batech versus Don Fry. Just uh, even though it was a one-sided beating for Dan Severn, like I I would say clearly he won. Um, It was competitive and it was a lot of phase changes, grappling into striking, striking into grappling, clinch positions, fighting on the feet. Like it was a dogfight. Like these guys were going after it the entire time. And if it wasn't for Omri's sort of constant pressure, Don Fry wouldn't have found himself in a position to, to land the strikes he was landing. So it was a real competitive fight in that way and probably the most action-packed one of the night for me. Next up, my performance of the night. Who am I going to give the to? I think I got to give it to Mark Schultz, man. Mark Schultz put on a hell of a show. I'm going to go Mark Schultz versus... Gary Goodridge, Mark Schultz uh, did what he had to do to win three big takedowns that led to a lot of top control, landed some real brutal strikes on the ground that opened up Goodridge and just control, control, control throughout the whole night. You got to give it to him. My knockout of the night. Hmm. It's a tough one. If there was a better angle of the of the punch that broke the nose, I think I would go with Mark Hall. 
uh, because it was impressive, obviously beating a sumo wrestler, a guy that's much bigger than you in that fashion. Um, but it wasn't. So I'm going to go Rafael Carino versus Matt Anderson because that fight was fun. Um, obviously, it it ended up being um, a little one-sided. But once again, Matt Anderson was doing everything he could to make the fight more competitive, which led for a lot of moments where the guys were really struggling um, to put themselves in a better position. So he ends up getting a nice TKO finish on the ground. Had to give it to Rafael Carino there. I mean, you got to give, you got to give Andre Pettineris an award, right? It's only right. Now, finally, submission of the night. Who should I go with in this one? Um, hmm. Technically, none of these were submissions. But the only one that was, was a tap. So I'll give it to Kyle Worsham versus Zane Frazier. But I'm going to name it knockout of the night instead. Because it was a knockout. Uh, Kyle Worsham versus Zane Frazier. And that is it. That is it for UFC number nine. Um, all things considered, not the most exciting overall event. Um but very unique, lots of storylines. And I would say definitely delivered. Don Fry is one to watch, man. Keep your eye out for that guy. I'm sure Gary Goodrich will be back as well. Um, their, their debut without a tournament went well, if you ask me. Seven competitive fights, even if um, some of them were a little bit more one-sided. Uh, fun fights nonetheless. And looking forward to what we got for the next one. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you for checking everything out. You could look for more content of the MMA archive at Negrong MMA on Twitter and Chris Negrong underscore on Instagram. Also follow the brand OTS Media Co. on all social media platforms, except OTS Media on YouTube. No co, just OTS Media Check us out. We got exciting coverage of football, basketball, fights, any anything you're interested in sports-wise, we got it. We also got a lot of um, pop culture coverage, um, style coverage. We got updates on sneaker releases, just a, just a bunch of things lifestyle-wise that you got to check out. So follow the brand OTS Media Co. and check me out once again. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you guys have a good one. Until next time, peace.